Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another Flying Solo podcast. And today, the topic is about my free play journey. So if you've been following me, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, I talk about free play all the time. And I really wanted to take some time to tell you how I've gotten to where I am. Um, I think you'll find it interesting and hopefully helpful. All right, so first of all, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Uh, before the proliferation of youth sports and clubs. Yes, there were some camps. I would go to like a camp, one camp a summer for soccer. I went to a total of two lacrosse camps in my entire life. Um, Back then, our parents would say, go play. They wouldn't say, go out and bang out your wall ball reps. Did you get your reps in today? And If I was bored, my mom would find something for me to do. So trust me, I would never say, mom, I'm bored. I would go find something to do. And it was hopefully playing with other friends. It was football. It was playing chase. It was riding bikes. It was playing pickle. Um, It was playing soccer. It was playing lacrosse. It was playing basketball. Even when I was grounded, um, I would be grounded to my yard in the fields at Moses Brown, where I went to school, and Brown University, which were both in walking distance and right next to each other. Um, So I grew up in Providence, and uh, the fields at Brown usually had the soccer nets up. So I would take my soccer ball over there. And when I was probably around 11 or 12, somewhere around fifth grade, I looked over and I saw a soccer game going on. And I was like, hmm, go check that out. And the guys needed one. So they were like, hey, buddy, you want to play? And so I started playing, pick up soccer. There was a really large Portuguese population in Providence. And every afternoon in the summer and every Sunday afternoon during the academic year, they would play pickup. 
and they would have multiple games if there was a lot of kit, a lot of people showing up. Oftentimes it might be a three on three or a seven on seven or two games of five on five, but it was just small sided. You, you, you put, you know, a couple pairs of shoes um, as goals and you were off and you were playing. And there were old guys, young guys, there were just these incredible players. There were not so good players. Um, and it was so much fun. And I, I didn't know anybody uh, over the course of years. I got to know people. I remember this guy, Carlos, he was the best player. He was this short stocky guy. He never said a word. And I always noticed he was an unbelievable dribbler and an unbelievable passer. And, you know, I didn't get a lot of coaching um, at, at that stage because there just wasn't as much, but, and I didn't play club or anything, but I did know you were not supposed to kick with your toe, but I noticed Carlos would draw people into his feet and he'd pop a little toe pass. It was almost like a lever pass. It was like such a quick little release. And I was so fascinated because he was breaking like one of the cardinal rules. You're not supposed to kick with your toe. It's, it's kind of funny because when I think back to my athletic career, I, I was a soccer and lacrosse player primarily. And it was, you know, 85% of the sports that I played, including those sports were just pickup. And I ended up being recruited to play both sports at Brown. And I had offers in, from multiple schools in soccer and lacrosse with, with not a lot of instruction. 80, 85% of my time was, was playing pickup. And when I look back, I realized that it, it really didn't matter who my youth coaches were. I was gonna be good at sports no matter what. And I was gonna love sports no matter what, which is really interesting because coaching back then, it was, it was more about getting the team organized to play games. And the coaches were more about being mentors and creating structure so that you could play the game. And man, I was so ready when lacrosse season would come around to be able to get issued my equipment and to be able to go to practice and put on a uniform. It, it didn't even matter what we did in practice. I don't really remember because it wasn't at practice actually where I was really getting better at my sports. It, it was on the sandlot. At practice is where I was having fun and I was I was getting a chance to actually do it for real. And I think that's what was so much fun. I remember in eighth grade, we had like eight lacrosse games or something, six or eight lacrosse games. I mean, it was so fun. That was it in the whole year. And soccer was the same thing, but I played an awful lot of games with my buddies and we just made them up. So nowadays the ratio is more than flipped. It's not 85% structured a 15% pickup. It's, it's more like 100% to 0%. There is almost no pickup sports for this generation of kids. Everything is structured. And you'll hear people, you'll hear the horror stories of kids quitting sports and getting burned out. And they hate their coach, so they hate the sport. And they start equating their their youth sports machine experience with the sport itself. And if you have a great coach, then you're, you're in pretty good shape. 
you're going to get developed. You're going to get better reps than the next kid. It's almost like your experience is going to be shaped by your coach, whether you love the sport or hate the sport, what you learn, it's all through the coach. And so it's kind of sad because the game itself can do the teaching. The game can do it. Now, does good coaching help? Sure. I, I'm not against, I'm a coach. I love coaching, but I was also a part of the problem. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, when I went to college and I, I, I decided to pick, I did, I did show up at soccer practice for like the first week of preseason. And once fall ball started in lacrosse, I, I quit soccer. I just wanted to play lacrosse. I, my, my heart was 1000% with lacrosse at that time. And I really haven't played much soccer since. Uh, but the one thing I did start doing a ton of was playing a lot of basketball. When I at Brown, I, I didn't play much in high school. I played a little JV hoops. I wasn't very good. I rode the bench. Um, but, but I started playing pickup basketball and I just fell in love with playing pickup hoops. And so all through college, it was my main activity and then coaching um, at Yale, coaching at Denver, I, I pretty much played basketball five days a week, you know, throughout the whole academic year. And then, of course, on the road with all the coaches, basketball is what college coaches do. And um, it's actually unbelievable what an impact basketball had on me. Um, I, I learned everything that I kind of teach now and and think of now, I, I really learned playing pickup basketball at Yale and at Denver. Um, the hesitations and the two-man game and the looks um, and the passing. It was just, it was really unbelievable. And at the time I was just playing, but at the time I was also, I was coaching. And so because I was coaching, I was definitely thinking about lacrosse a lot. And I was thinking about basketball and how it translated. So I referenced before that I was really part of the problem. All of us that are coaches have been a part of the problem. In the spirit of coaching and competition and making things better, we have lost sight of the importance of the sandlot. And, you know, think about, to, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, that so many of us read where it was like 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. You know, and I was busy trying to figure out the smartest progressions to teach every variation of every skill. And it might start off with like an introduction with practicing something and learning what it is, the terminology, doing it against air, doing it in a vacuum. And then, you know, you do it in a uneven drill and you script it out and then you do it in an all even drill. And then, you know, presto, Every kid has learned every variation of every skill. And it seems so great. And frankly, with 3D lacrosse, we did an amazing job of scaling good, consistent coaching this way. And it looked amazing. And it worked in the sense that kids learned a lot of variations of skills and concepts. It was, it was pretty awesome. And it looked really, really good. Then in the fall of 2017, I had just sold 3D about six months earlier. My two older kids were headed off to college and I stepped down as a head high school coach. And I was beginning to look at the world 
through a completely different lens. I was embarking on this journey with JM3 Sports. I didn't even know what, what it was going to be, to be honest with you. Um, I just knew that I was going to do online education. I was going to evaluate film. And one of my most important tasks at the time was to help my youngest daughter, Lucy, who was a ninth grader at the time, this is fall of ninth grade, figure out a good solution because she was really passionate about lacrosse too. She wanted to play just like her older brother and sister. She wanted to get recruited. She was like all excited about it. And I was trying to find a solution of what to do. And there just wasn't a program in Colorado that was a good fit for what I was looking for at the time. It was field hockey season too. And I was really excited for her to play another sport. So we just started playing Sunday three by. So three by is, uh, is a name of a game. It's a three by three net. It's a three on three game. And one person assumes the role of goalie and it becomes an all time three on two. So this began really my third era of pickup sports. It started with soccer and then through my twenties and thirties, it was basketball. And then starting into my, into my late forties, it became in the early fifties, it became lacrosse, pickup lacrosse. So I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I could, I could like create my own level of competition. I'll, I'll invite a few boys to come play. And then I'll let Lucy invite a couple of girls. And, and, um, you know, I thought to myself, well, if we get better competition, how great is that? If she's going against like high school boys. So I got a couple of kids that were actually committed. They were former players of mine at Mountain Vista High School. Um, one was headed to Utah. One was headed to Cornell. And they would come over every Sunday. So I filmed it. Every week I would film it. And um, I just watch. I see what would, ha what would happen. And by the way, I would play. And I would just sort of see what the kids were doing. And it was fascinating to watch over the course of time what they learned. And then we started having different amounts of kids. So we started playing some different pickup games, some different numbers. And I started using different goal sizes. And I've just been dialing the free play up and up and up ever since over the last three years. Um, in September 2019, I did a podcast with this guy named Ted Creighton, who you should follow on Twitter, um, Joy of the People. At Joy of the People is, uh, the organ is the organization on Twitter. Joy of the People is the name of this soccer group that is completely founded upon free play. And I heard a podcast of Ted Creighton um, in 2018 actually driving up on my way to the 2018 Minto Cup in Calgary. And I was just blown away by the concepts. And I was already on this free play train. And then to listen to Ted, who had been working in this world and studying it for like eight or 10 years, it was kind of mind blowing. So I invited him on a podcast. So a couple of things that I learned, and you should listen to this podcast. So in, in, in September 2019, I invited him on my podcast. I, I urge you to listen to it. It's phenomenal. But what he talked about was some things I'd never thought of, which was he compared learning sports to second language acquisition. Think about learning a second language. You study the words, the vocabulary, the conjugations, you do problems, 
you can blurt stuff out, but you cannot understand a word people say. You go on vacation to Mexico and you have no idea what anybody is. And it's very similar to learning sports instruction. The goal in language is fluency. And it's really the same goal in sports. And what that means though, is you have to be able to take in information. It's not about blurting stuff out. It's not about executing a statement like donde style banyu, just like it's not about executing a particular skill. You know, when you see somebody like execute a skill at the wrong time and you're kind of like, what are you doing? Like, why are you just faking? Who did you fake? You just faked nothing. And, and that's kind of what, what we're talking about here. Um, what Ted says is free play creates fluency. Structure creates accuracy. And that you can't actually get better in structure. You can only get sharper. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that wall ball is a total waste of time because it will sharpen up your skills. If you work in structure and rep stuff out, you can get sharp with your skills. But it doesn't make you better at the sport in the sense of fluency. And so therefore, you could argue that every minute you can spend on fluency would be better time spent than on accuracy. Although I will say that accuracy is important. But if you're going to prioritize, you must prioritize fluency over accuracy. If you got the time as you get older and you start really working at your game, you know, putting time into becoming accurate with your feet, with your skills is, is a good thing. But when you're younger, this is why it was so amazing that our parents back in the 70s would just be like, go play. They weren't saying go bang out your reps. They didn't know any better. They were just, that was the time. But, but it's really profound when you think about it. Um, Ted talked about a guy in the teachings of a guy named Raymond Verheyen. Raymond Verheyen is a soccer soccer guy that is world renowned for his thinking on various things. And one of the, one of the things that Raymond talks about that Ted referenced that I talk, that I reference all the time is that when an athlete is playing sport, they're reading the play. They are perceiving what's happening. They're processing dozens and dozens of things at the same time, simultaneously. And it could be, think about it, like, where's the ball? Where's the defense? Where's my man? Where are my teammates? Who's, they're communicating verbally and non-verbally all at the same time. This is the fluency piece that I'm talking about. Next, they are going to have to make a decision to do something with all of that information. And the decision will then be executed with a technique. So you process, you make a decision, and then you execute the decision. That, that is the three-step process that occurs. And when you think about it, everybody is focused on the execution of the decision. That's what they're wrapping out. More reps, more shooting reps, more footwork reps, more dodging reps, reps, hashtag reps. Everything's reps. But that's not the hard part. The hard part 
is processing and reading just like it's not hard to say don't a style banyo anybody can remember to say that but it's really hard to understand what people are saying to you when you're on vacation in mexico you have no idea it's the processing it's the taking in of information and then it's the decision making in real time the decision making also involves confidence and so why is it and i always ask myself this why is it that my players that I, I've taught every variation of every skill to, they can do it on commands, but they can't or don't very often do it on their own. And it kind of comes down to this, the whole free play, it's, it's kind of about free will and you have to figure this stuff out on your own. So whether it's wall ball reps or shooting reps or footwork reps or dodging cones, this stuff can make you sharper. And if you're a pro player and you already have amazing fluency, you can go do these things and it will help you get ready and tuned up for sure. But if you're a kid who doesn't really know how to play and doesn't have fluency, it's like studying phrases in Spanish. It's not going to make you fluent. It's going to allow you to like blurt stuff out, blurt out skills. It's the fluency is where you learn control and deception. Control of your man, control of opponents and communication and nonverbal communication. You know how everybody's always like, I can't talk these days. Well, it's because they're, they're always in structure being told what to say. If you let kids play enough, I've seen it. I watch the kids that these boys and girls that play in our pickup games and they all say, pick left, switch every time because they've done it enough times. They just do it. We, didn't, we don't talk about it. Ted Creighton also talks about one of the most counterintuitive concepts that I've found to be so true. It's amazing. And it's the concept of underloading. So most of us, myself included, would have believed that the best, the combination of the best training and the best, comp, the best competition, toss in 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, and that would be your best model, best training combined with the best competition, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. What Ted believes with underloading is that actually the best environments have mixed ages and abilities. So, so many people will just be like, well, I mean, I can't get better playing with these kids because they're not good enough. But I want you to think about something and I'll use my own example that might resonate with you. But I played a lot of basketball, like I mentioned throughout, throughout my Yale days. And if the, if, the, if the standard crew came out and played, you know, the regular, the regular coaches from different sports, I, I could compete and I could play really well. If I was playing with my buddies, I could, I could be like Larry Bird. But if the basketball staff came out and played, and all of a sudden there was a bunch of basketball guys, guess what happened to my role? I went from being someone that shot and went to the basket and made plays and tried stuff, and dominated, to somebody that became a role player, that made passes, that set picks, that played defense, and hopefully got a fast break, break bucket. 
This is exactly what happens when you overload. If you're playing up all the time, it actually limits your role because you don't have the confidence to go out and do stuff. And, and why would you? You're, you're not among the best players. It is much better to be among the best players where you can learn how to do this. And I've seen it with my family, with the JM3 athletes that I work with. We, we have boys and girls, college, high school, middle school kids playing together. And it's amazing because the really good players raise the level of play in a really cool way because they know how to play. But you might say, well, how do they get better? And the answer is because what they learn how to do is, for one, raise the level of play. But they also learn how to set things up. They learn how to toy, literally toy with defenders. And they learn manipulation and deception and control. And they learn how to set things up and their passing becomes incredible. And if you think about this, think about the Iroquois. They are the most skilled and creative population in the world. Per capita, there are more world-class players in the Iroquois population than any other population. There's, I did a back of the napkin guess with Darius Kilgore and, and Red Burnham a couple of years ago. And we, we kind of took a guess on how many Iroquois lacrosse players there were in the world. And they, they came up with a number of like, I don't know, 1,500 or 2,000. Yet every time you turn around, there are Lyle Thompsons and Zach Millers and Randy and Austin Stotzes, and the list goes on and on and on. Yet there's like 120 players on the Onondaga reservation. And they're putting out the most incredible players, but how are they doing it? It's not with structure. It's not with coaching. It's not with reps not with deliberate reps. It's not with 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. It probably is 10,000 hours. You know, I look at reps and I do not equate them all equally. I'm looking for decision-making reps, processing reps, reps in context. I think those reps matter. I actually started looking at film in counting reps, just counting reps of things that were happening. So I, when I first started Jane 3, I started doing a lot of video assessments and, and I, would, I, would, I would count how many touches a player would get in the game. So, you know, I, I looked at uh, my cousin who's a division one command and, and my daughter, Lucy, and I, I, I looked at their, their game touches and reps. And my cousin's reps would be like, I don't know, nine touches, four dodges, three goals, you know, two ground balls, you know, and Lucy might have 15 touches on, you know, three shots, two goals, whatever. But it was like pretty typical for every single kid I would do assessments. That, that would be like their amount of touches in games. And so then I, I looked at a three-on-three three plus a goalie game. Same, same amount of time, 45 minutes. And she had 47 dodges, 29 two-man games, 16 shots. And by the way, all in context. So obviously we could do more one-on-ones than that if we wanted to, but I don't know, that's a lot of dodges, 47 dodges, it's <laughs> a lot. And context is so important because what everybody works on is their one-on-ones, but it's the people in your way that makes it the challenge and the opportunity. 
So the free play environment, it's so much fun. It's like free will because you can leave. If you don't want to play, you don't play. The kids are there because they want to be there. And then the implicit learning is insane. The stuff that they do. I was talking to Mark Van Arsdale yesterday on a podcast about Pat Spencer. And I was asking him how many times he would see Pat Spencer do something he'd never seen before. And he would say at least every week, probably every day. In free play, you can take chances. You can experiment. And that's, that's, that's the backyard lacrosse model. But the challenge with free play is that most people can't relate to the power of pickup. They would rather go shoot. They'd rather go get their reps, do their wall ball. They don't really understand. Even the parents of the JM3 athletes I work with, they're always like, yeah, 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 sounds great. And then like a year later, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe how much better my kid just got. And uh, it's an unbelievable opportunity. And it's, it is free. That's the beauty of it. So let's, let's dig into pickup a little bit. So first of all, pickup games, the games that I play are, have small nets. The goal size is really, really important. You know, the whole key to the game is that it's not too easy to score and it's not too hard to score. We use no equipment. We use tennis balls. We have boys and girls. If you have girls, I highly recommend using boys sticks. You can use a girl stick, but a boy stick will, will unlock their game in a way that'd be really powerful because a, a tennis ball with a girl stick is just um, a too big of a disadvantage in learning really how to use centrifugal force of faking, of swing angles, of different keeping the ball in. And it's very translatable. A, a lacrosse ball with a girl stick is, is fine, it's great. You know, tennis ball with a girl stick is, is a lot harder to learn certain things. Um, everybody's a goalie. Everybody gets a chance to play goalie. Having a goalie in the net is huge. It's part of the fluency. It's you against the goalie. You have to learn how to deceive the goalie. So, but what these pickup games with small nets really are, everybody, it, they're box. It's box lacrosse. So I did a whole podcast last week on box. You should check it out. I'm not going to dive into all of those details, but we know that the goal size in box is what creates the environment. It makes it tight. It makes everything in tight. It, it creates the need for two-man game of bringing people together. It creates the need of getting to the middle. It creates the need of shooting when you can't necessarily see the net. It creates the need of being able to navigate in a post-up or a tight one-on-one -on -one and seeing the field and being able to fake and faking through gaps and taking advantage of of two-on-ones in this really, really tight area. It's box lacrosse. And we all know box lacrosse is an unbelievable skill development accelerator. Let's talk a little bit about no equipment. This is something that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around. Like, well, how could no equipment be good? Well, because it's just like basketball, you guys. It doesn't mean it's not physical. It just means you're not cross-checking the crap out of people and you're not slashing on their hands. But you, you are going to use your cross-check to hold. You are going to post up against the cross-check, a right-on-right or a right-on-left. And you're going to learn how to feed through it. And you're going to learn how to bump people. It's, it's a lot like women's lacrosse defense, which, by the way, it's not even as physical as women's lacrosse defense. It's more physical than girls' lacrosse. But women's lacrosse, they, they'll, they'll pound you with a little bit of a cross-check. You're not going to do that in these games. Um, 
But why is no equipment so advantageous though? Because it scales the crap out of your reps, of your decision-making reps. What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about one of my favorite games, four on four plus a goalie. We can go out and play that game for 75 minutes, you know, with a couple of water breaks in between games, but pretty much straight. How long could you do four, a four on four with full equipment? The answer is not very. I think you can play about 10 times as much. And, and let me just tell you, your footwork, your faking, your reads, your two-man game, your finishing, your shooting, your feeding are exactly the same in the no equipment environment, exactly. And more importantly, the reads are what you're getting. It's the reads, it's the processing, it's the decision-making. Why is it that every kid can bang out behind the backs against the wall, but kids almost never use them in games? So we also play a lot of different games. We play all even games and uneven games. So I, I mentioned that I started playing this game called three by, which is an all time three on two, but sometimes we'll play, we'll play two by, uh, AKA trash can across. Two by is, is what you do with four people. If you got five people, you'll probably play some two on two plus a goalie. You got six, play three by. You got seven, you play three on three plus a goalie. Eight, four by. Got nine, four on four plus a goalie. It's pairs offense. It's incredible. And then one of our favorite games is five by. It's like box power play. It's a five on four at all times. We do, we do use different net sizes, as I mentioned before. So with like two by and three by, we'll use a three by three net. And with all the other games, with a, if there's ever an all-time goalie in there, or if it's a bigger game like four by or five by, we always use our three six by three six net. Um, I get them custom built by this guy, Steve Trombley, great guy from upstate New York, hotbed lacrosse. Call Steve, 315-439-9956. Um, and he'll give you a three six by three six net. They're not cheap, but but they'll last forever. You know the small the small nets will break. So these you only have to buy this one time. But the net size is so key, you guys, because what you don't want to have is such a small net that you just have to jam it, you know, hard and low. What you want is a net that allows you to shoot. It's not too easy to score. Like we don't want. I found a four by four net would be too big. So like I judge it basically because on if alley shots go in easily, just don't want alley shots. Um, but the three, six by three, six is just a beautiful net size that allows you to shoot from the outside with touch and deception rather than just having to blast it and go low to low. Um, the rules are important in the sense that safety, safety is important. And, and, and the two things that I would tell you with regard to safety, one is just no high heat. You just can't let kids shoot high. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like girls using girl sticks because they'll hit you right in the face. Um, but also the checking. So the key with the checking is just don't let people do one-handed checks. If you start dangling your stick around there, you will knock someone's teeth out. I've seen it happen. Most of the time, there's no issues. You don't need gloves. You don't need a helmet. I mean, if you want to do that, you can. The more equipment I think, the more it cranks up the physicality. Just like in girls across, you can't be checking their stick 
you know, towards their face. But if the ball's on the ground, you can certainly battle for it and check a stick. And that's where the, uh, the physicality comes in. The ground ball scraps are absolutely epic. You'd be blown away by watching how much better kids improve on their ground ball abilities. And the best part, you guys, is that whoever comes out with a ball comes out laughing hysterically while they're running away from their friend. The two-man game stuff is so off the charts. Learning two-man game, learning how to slow down and control. With the athletes I work with, Jan3 athletes I work with, with my Jan3 athletes, I teach so much of the game of lacrosse in the context of two-man game because it teaches them how to control their defender and the switch. And eventually, they learn how to do that without looking at it. So when we turn it into a four-on-four plus a goalie game, they're looking at the other side. If you haven't listened to my hang-up two-man or off-ball two-man podcasts, definitely do. It'll, 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 it'll all start to make sense to you. So how do you get it going? You just got to get, get, get a goal and you got to get some kids together. Get mom and dad. Get brothers and sisters. Um, do what I did. Hire a couple high school kids. Pay him 20 bucks. Be like, hey, we do private lessons for my kid. They'll be like, sure. Just be like, okay, but I, I just want you to play three bucks. And then just start playing. And you'll be amazed at how much fun it is and how much better the kids get. Now, if you want information on this, the best $19 you could ever spend would be for the backyard curriculum. Go to backyardcurriculum.com and you can learn a lot of stuff. I, I made this during quarantine. Um, I was, I was working out with my three kids. They were all home. You know, two of them had just lost college seasons. One lost a high school season. They really wanted, they were, they were still totally in lacrosse mode. They wanted to play. And we figured out some amazing ways to get better in the backyard with small groups, with different types of ways of dodging and finishing on goalies and playing small games. We even got mom in that sometimes got ourselves a nice little uh, two on two plus a goalie. So I hope this helps you guys. Um, this is one of my biggest passions, but it's, it's also something that I believe is the ultimate model for development, this combination of free play and implicit learning. And then if you throw some film on the, on the back end of it, see, see what actually happened. It's incredible. It's incredibly powerful. And the athletes that I work with have gotten so much better. And if you asked, if you looked at their before and afters or asked their parents, you, you'd see and hear that. Free play, everybody. It's a movement. And if we bring this back, it will solve all of the things that we want. You know what it solves? That's absolutely incredible, everybody. It solves confidence, believe it or not. You know how you got those kids that just like won't? It's just like pulling teeth to get them to dodge or shoot. The reason why is because someone along the line told them not to be a ball hawk. Somebody said, don't be selfish. And all they're worried about is that instead of just actually playing the game. What I've found is with free play, the kids that are ball hogs learn how to actually pass. And the kids that are completely unassertive learn how to make a play when the, when the play presents itself to them. Think about that. You're still going to have personalities of more, you know, more assertiveness or less, but it, but it kind of comes to the middle where it, it works. You can be an elite world-class player without having like a type A, I have to have the ball all the time. You just, you find your role. In fact, those roles are critical. 
to being great, to having great teams. You can't have everybody that wants to shoot the ball all the time. And you need that kid who shoots the ball all the time to realize how to take good shots and not take bad shots and how to move the ball to the open man. And all of this is around fluency and processing. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you give uh, free play a try. Reach out to me at uh, Jay Monroe at Jam3Sports if you ever have questions. And uh, have an awesome day. Thanks.